0: And welcome to another episode of the Skylabs Vintage Audio Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be going over our top five monster hi-fi stereo receivers from the 70s. You're not going to want to miss this one. And the first thing we need to figure out is what defines a monster receiver in the first place because there is no actual definition. I use a website called Classic Receivers quite a bit when I'm doing these videos and I'm looking for specific dates or information as they've covered a lot of the receivers of this era and their definition of what makes a monster receiver is what I'm gonna base my list on. First off, it needs to be large physically. We're looking for something big. Something that takes up a lot of space and kind of commands a presence. And number two, it should weigh around 50 pounds. And number three, it should be 120 watts per channel or more. Number four, it should be the manufacturer's flagship of that specific series. I broke this rule once. I will explain when I do it and I'll explain why. And number five, this receiver should have some wow factor. When somebody comes over to your house and they see one of these, The reaction of cowering in fear maybe isn't what you're wanting, but you're definitely wanting that, holy, that thing is incredible, or what is that? That's the biggest receiver I've ever seen. As long as it makes somebody take notice of it when they walk into a room, it's got wow factor. And I think every one of these on this list does. I do have a couple caveats real quick, and then we'll get into it. And number one, this is not just a list of the most powerful receivers ever made. For this list i'm going to be taking a couple things into consideration that are important to me and one of those things is repairability and build quality so for my list i am going to be biased to those receivers i think are built better and are more easily repaired also i don't own any of these receivers i have no skin in the game i have no reason to champion for one receiver over another i'm not a big am fm person so for me i'd rather move the receivers onto somebody else that will enjoy them for what they are. And we have none of these for sale right now. So I have no reason to try and steer you towards one receiver or another. And lastly, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on the sound of these. They were all made between four or five years of each other. They all use the same brand of capacitors, resistors, transistors. For the most part, any sonic differences with these would be semantics the fact that they're over 40 years old, they all have different use life on them, they all have different levels of service, they might have different components replaced. In my opinion, it becomes just more word salad of, this one's more bass forward, or this one's got more top end, or I could sit here and throw off a bunch of descriptive words that would describe the way these sound, and it would just be a bunch of garbage. These all sound really, really good when they're serviced. If these were all brand new, if we were pulling them straight off the assembly line and every one of them were exact copies of each other, it would make a little bit more sense to go deep into the sound. And if you do get one and you don't like the sound of it, turn the treble or the bass up or turn the bass down or the treble down and try playing with the tone controls. Because that's what they're there for. Don't let audiophiles tell you you can't use a bass treble or tone control. It's ridiculous. If you want the loudness on and crank the bass up at the same time, do it. Who gives a It's just audio. Relax. And now I will shut up and we'll get you number five. And number five is the Kenwood KR 9600. And the Kenwood KR9600 was made between 1976 and 1978. It has 160 watts per channel into eight ohms and it weighs in at 53 pounds. This is the most affordable receiver on the list by far. I think you'd expect to pay between one to two thousand, depending on condition, level of service, that type of thing. But I, I think that's kind of the range of what they're going for. And while, yes, we have serviced and sold. KR9050s I do not believe they are as good as the 9600. I know it's more wattage, it's a repairability thing, and while the the 9050 is a great receiver, I do think this one's better, and that's just my opinion. And for the positives for the KR9600, they've got a really great look. They look like they mean business. You've got big rack handles. This is a large receiver, it's a heavy receiver. It's a great sounding receiver. It's a well-built receiver. This, in my opinion, is maybe Kenwood's best receiver they ever made. And with these, you either love the looks of these or you don't. I could see why maybe another family member maybe wouldn't want this particular receiver as a showpiece in their living room. It's not the most elegant, but it does look like it's gonna take your head off. And that is one of the things we're looking for with a monster receiver. This looks like a monster receiver. And a couple more attributes for the KR 9600 would be you get VU meters. Everybody loves VU meters. I love VU meters, everybody loves them. They're a little on the small side, but it's a receiver and they're there. You also get three sets of speaker jacks, which is nice, just in case you wanna have a third set of speakers maybe in another room. That's always a nice feature to have. And it also has pre-out and main ends. So just to open up the possibilities to a subwoofer or an EQ. It's never bad to have those as it can make integrating other electronics into this receiver just that much easier. The KR9600 also has a mid-range tone control. Not all the receivers on this list do, so that is a nice feature for you that might want to warm up the sound a little bit or just have one more level of sculpting the sound the way you like it. And for the negatives for the KR 9600, and it's definitely a big one. The outputs are not standardized transistors. They used a Darlington style output pack that are not available anymore. You can buy used ones that are working, but they're very expensive. And if you have to replace them, you don't know how long the next set's going to be good for either. In good news, somebody is making a kit form replacement pack and selling them on eBay. They are on the expensive side, but at least it saves your Kenwood. Just know that if you do need to replace the outputs on a KR 9600, it's going to be quite a bit more expensive than a normal receiver with standardized transistors. For the price you're going to pay for a KR 9600, and being it's the most economical one on the list, I do think a little bit larger of a repair bill down the road might be justified. And that is our number five spot. That is the Kenwood KR 9600. And coming in at the number four spot, we've got the Sony STR V7. These were manufactured between 1978 and 1981. They're coming at 150 watts per channel into eight ohms, and it weighs 48 pounds. And in my opinion, I think you'd probably want to expect to pay around two grand for a Sony V7. Um, They're on the rare side, but they're not... They're not unicorns or anything like that. They do come around. These are big receivers too. I really like these receivers. I like the looks of them. I do think their looks are kind of unique, but I really like their styling. I think it's a little bit more modern, and I like the green. Most manufacturers opted for blue, obviously, and for good reason, but it is, it is cool to see a different color inside of a receiver, and I think the green looks really nice on these. And with the v 7 that 150 watts per channel, that is plenty of wattage. That really opens up possibilities to like MagnaPans and electrostats and some of the more power hungry speakers out there. And a couple other great positives with the V7, you've got a moving coil phono preamp. And this is the only receiver on this list with a moving coil preamp. So personally, it's not the end of the world if I have to get an external moving coil preamp because I do prefer moving coils. It's just nice to have it as an option. And while I've never tried this moving coil preamp on the Sony, I bet it's pretty dang good. If anybody has, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think of the moving coil preamp inside of a V7. The other nice things are you've you've got a massive toroidal transformer in here, you've got standardized transistors, and wait for it, we've got VU meters. Yay! Everybody loves VU meters. There's something about watching them bounce. Very hypnotic. They could be a little bit bigger, but it's a receiver. Once again, they got VU meters. And of course we have to have our negatives and these aren't huge negatives, but considering most or not all of the other receivers have these, it's worth noting in my opinion. So we don't have any pre-out main ends and we don't have a third set of speaker jacks in the Sony V7. The speaker jacks to me are the least of my worries. I think a flagship receiver of this caliber, it's kind of a miss not to have those pre-out main ends, but I think for the price point, it does pretty good. And that is our number four spot. That is the Sony STR-V7. And also, if you'd rather get your content in an audio format, check out the Skylabs Audio Podcast. We are up on almost every platform at this point. Definitely go check out your favorite platform and search for Skylabs Audio. And coming in at number three, we've got the Mighty Marantz. 2325 this receiver was manufactured between 1974 and 1977 it's got 125 watts per channel into eight ohms and the marantz comes in weighing at 49 pounds and right now with the marantz market i'd kind of expect to pay anywhere between 2500 to 3500 for a 2325 and i do realize there are three larger receivers above this one in the marantz line And maybe those people that heard me say 2325 already clicked off the video, but there is a reason again why I picked the 2325, not the 2385, the 2500 or the 2600. And it comes down to build quality and repairability. Once again, this is just my opinion, but I really got a feeling if you were to ask most experienced technicians to just look at these on the inside, it's really apparent which ones have the build quality and which ones don't. And if that's not important to you, by all means, enjoy what you enjoy. It's just a really important thing to me, and that's why it holds so much weight when I make these lists. And while I've never seen a 2600 in person, we've had a few 2500s, and we've had several 2385s come through. There's no question they're good receivers. I just don't think they match the build quality as the 2325. It's just that simple. So let's get to the pros for the twenty-three twenty-five. In my opinion, this is probably the best-looking receiver on the list. I love the looks of the Marantz. Everybody loves the looks of the Marantz. Everybody. And this receiver just might be my favorite-looking Morantz, period. This is a nice, big receiver with a ton of controls. If you like twisting knobs and pushing buttons, and you like your equipment to have a really sophisticated, almost engineer's look to it, I think this one pulls it off great. It's got that really nice blue back dial that everybody loves. It's got the nice gyroscope wheel that you can flick with your finger and, and watch the tuning dial fly across the channels. It's also got a mid-range control for that extra ability to fine-tune the sound the way you want it. And it's also got the pre-out main in And one thing I always like to mention when I'm talking about Marantz receivers is there's something unique in Marantz that sets them aside from everybody else. And I think it adds to the Marantz tax, and it should. And that is... You can get a lot of aftermarket, brand new parts for a Marantz cosmetically than you can for any other receiver manufacturer, at least the Japanese 70s stuff. You can buy new faceplates, new knobs, new feet, new wood cabinet. And essentially, it just allows you to maybe pick up a more beat up Marantz and replace some of the cosmetics and get it to almost looking brand new. And you can't do that with Sansui and Pioneer and Yamaha and Sony. Those faceplates are stamped. They have lots of curves. Marantz was really smart in making a flat faceplate, so it's easy to remanufacture, and it makes it unique in that way. It's going to end up saving a lot of Marantz's from just being scrapped because you can replace the faceplate. In that aspect of it, I do understand why the Marantz tax is so high, because a lot of these vintage Marantz receivers are being restored cosmetically to a level that a lot of the other receivers cannot. And with the negatives for the 2325, that Marantz tax. If you look at the Marantz compared to the Sony that we just went over, they're almost the same in build quality and specs and whatnot. However, the Marantz is twice the price. And you're kind of trading off features. There's no VU meters on the Marantz. There's no toroidal transformer on the Marantz. There's no moving coil phono preamp on the Marantz. However, the Marantz does have pre-out main in, and the mid controls, but once again, it's double the price of the Sony. And so to me, I don't think that justifies it being double the price, but that just goes to show you how much in effect the Marantz tax is right now. And that was our number three spot, the Marantz 2325. And coming in at the number two spot, we've got the Sansui G9000. This receiver was made between 1978 and 1979. We've got 160 watts per channel going into eight ohms. And the G9000 weighs 59 pounds. If you're in the market for one of these, I would kind of expect you to pay around $1,500 to $3,000, depending on condition and level of service. And this is the receiver I made the exception for. This is not a flagship receiver. However, I've never seen a G22000 or a G33000 in person. And that's because they truly are unicorns. And if you've seen the price of those lately, then you get it. And for those reasons, that's why I went with the G9000. And for the positives, these are a very, very large receiver. I love the looks and the design on these, even though a lot of people prefer the generation prior. The G9000 is also standardized transistors, huge, huge toroidal transformer. They have nice VU meters, mid-range control, preamp out and main ends, and a massive volume control, which makes the receiver even feel more powerful than it is. There's something about a really large volume knob. It reminds me of Back to the Future where he's cranking up that big volume knob. The G9000 is definitely my favorite receiver. Sansui made over 100 watts per channel. It is one of those receivers that truly defines a monster receiver for me, just with its size and its presence and its look. You can't walk into a room with one of these powered on and not notice it. They are just incredible. It's got the wow factor no question and the g9000 definitely has its negatives too we'll get through the trivial ones first there's no third set of speaker jacks on a g9000 there is no moving coil phono preamp on a g9000 the biggest issue for me with the g9000 is the oval shaped filter capacitors it really makes it hard to replace those and keep that original look really your only option is to cut out the old capacitor and restuff them with modern capacitors and it's not an easy job so if you like having new capacitors in your vintage electronics like i do this is going to add some cost to your restoration if you want it to look original and lastly i really dislike having the source inputs and the speaker outputs on the side of the cabinet sansui is not the only manufacturer that did things this way it was short-lived by pioneer as well i'm glad they moved away from it Uh, i get it it's a large receiver plugging things into the back or moving speaker wires or any of that kind of stuff is really cumbersome with a receiver this large. However, even with really good cable management and the slots they provided to bring the wires back to the receiver, in my opinion, with the receiver of this caliber and a receiver that I think most people want to show off, including myself, by setting it almost on a pedestal rather than in a cabinet, There's no way to truly dress up the sides of that cabinet with those wires. That's a pet peeve for me. If it doesn't bother you, you're planning on putting it into a cabinet or you don't care about seeing wires on the side, then don't worry about it. But for me, it really bugs me. And those are the negatives. That was our number two pick. That was the Sansui G9000. And before we get to our number one pick, which I think most of you already know what it is, I have an honorable mention, unfortunately, this amplifier didn't reach our minimums when we were defining what a monster receiver is. This is the Yamaha CR2020, and if I had experience with the CR3020, I would have included that as I'm sure it sounds just as good and is built just as good as the CR2020, which was lacking in the watts and is not a flagship receiver. That's the only reason we didn't include it. The CR2020 is still a massive receiver. You've got 105 watts per channel, and it truly has a lot of things going for it. The Yamaha CR3020 is unfortunately so rare, and I think the main reason was the retail price of those when they came out. They had an MSRP of $1,500 in 1978, and when you put that in an inflation calculator, you would have paid $6,732 in today's money for a CR 3020 back then. And in our number one spot, we've got the Pioneer SX 1250. I love this receiver. I think this is the greatest vintage receiver ever made for so many reasons. There's so many people on the forums that agree with me. I am not alone in my love for the 1250. Most people that know what they're talking about, even if they're hardcore Sansui or Marantz fans, can see how well this receiver was built, why it's an easy receiver to work on, and why it is possibly the best vintage receiver ever made. And it truly also is a monster. The Pioneer SX-1250 was built between 1976 and 1978, comes at 160 watts per channel into eight ohms, and the SX-1250 weighs in at 64 pounds. And if you're in the market right now for a Pioneer SX-1250, I think you should probably expect to pay anywhere between $2,500 to $4,000 depending on the condition it's in and what level of service has been done to it. And yes, while we have sold in service several 1980s and 1280s, I still think the 1250 is the better receiver. If I was to own one of those, money aside, I would still pick the 1250. Really the only benefits to that newer series is you get a couple small VU meters and the positives with the SX 1250. I think the sheer numbers of these units sold has to be considered a positive for several reasons. At the time of recording this video, there were 15 SX 1250s on eBay. The closest number you get to that with the other receivers on this list, the Kenwood KR 9600 came in second for the most amount available right now and there were four. The Marantz 2325 had three, the Sony STRV7 had one, and there were no G9000s for sale. And one of the best positives to there being so many SX 1250s out there are the availability for parts. It's just simple logic that there's always gonna be more parts available for a 1250 just because of the amount of these units they sold. And doing a comparison with the 1250 and the Yamaha 3020, I think the reason they didn't sell as many Yamaha CR 3020s at $1,500 was you could buy a 1250 for $900. So as a consumer in the late 70s, when you're doing your shopping for your stereo and you see a Pioneer 1250 for $900 and a Yamaha CR 3020 for $15, it's kind of hard not to choose the Pioneer. And some of the other positives with the SX-1250 be those modular boards, very easy to work on very easy to disassemble. You've got your massive toroidal transformer and you've got your huge power supply. While it doesn't have a mid-level tone control, you do have frequency selectors on your treble and bass to really kind of fine tune that. Also, you've got your three sets of speaker jacks and you have your pre-out main in. And I do have a small list of negatives for the Pioneer SX-1250. There's no VU meters, there's no mid-range tone control, and there's not a moving coil phono preamp in here. But that's it. That's the only three things I can really find that are negatives, in my opinion, for the Pioneer SX 1250. All hail the king. I just wanna say thanks again for checking out another Skylabs audio podcast. We do appreciate you subscribing, liking the content. And if you're really enjoying it, head on over to skylabsaudio.com forward slash shop. There you'll find a lot of really cool Skylabs merchandise, like platter mats and t-shirts we also have custom built speaker stands there's a really good selection of grado cartridges and headphones we are always adding merchandise to the store so if you haven't stopped by in a while head over to skylabsaudio.com forward shop and see what we've added thanks again really appreciate it we'll see you in the next one